going to talk about when bravery was real, D-Day, 78 years ago today. Buttigieg spills the big bad beans, and I do mean that. Uh, Texas high school field trip, the gay strip joint, and rule of law collapse, Sussman walks, and Navarro in leg irons. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. On America Can We Talk, I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. And hello again to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Well, we're in a different studio, and change has really come in Texas in great ways. I wanted to briefly tell you, first of all, listeners, your regular listeners, you know, I took, I haven't been in this happy chair, my show, in 10 days. I did my show uh, two weeks ago and then took all of last week off. We moved, my husband and I moved within North Texas, and we um, have been moving in. We're getting settled, not quite settled. We're way out in the country now where I'll just tell you, if you step out in the front porch at night, you can hear cows cows mooing. Not anything like the home we lived in Dallas for many years, but getting settled in our new home. We also have big changes at Real News PR. I love doing my show through Real News PR and the Real News Communication Network. And my uh, studio uh, is, this is a new studio which they are expanding. And this is a little bit closer to where I live now. And so I'm trying this new studio today. And also, uh, on our Thursday shows, I will be going back to the original big home studio in Dallas that you've been watching my show on for three plus years, where you can see the freeways in the background. And my Thursday shows will continue to be very special. On Thursdays, we always have one guest, full hour interview, and a really wonderful um, feel. It's a very in-depth interview on Thursdays, very serious topics, uh, wonderful, wonderful guests. And we also have a studio audience. We have in the former studio, we had somewhere 12 to 15 people, but this new studio, we'll be able to have up to 40 people seated. So it's just a big expansion, big fun. Um, but my show will continue. America Can We Talk will continue Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time. Whether I'm doing it here in this studio closer to our new home or in the original Real News PR studio, the upgraded uh, and beautifully enlarged uh, studio, the original studio in Dallas, I'm still doing this show Monday through Thursday to speak up for America and talk about America. Well, I wanted to mention, of course, today, you always just, it's very important to always remember uh, the anniversary of D-Day. So D-Day was 78 years ago. Um, and um, I think I didn't find it again this year, but last year when I was talking about D-Day, I'm pretty sure the number I saw was that the average age of the uh, soldiers, American soldiers, British soldiers, um, killed on D-Day, the average number, average age of those people was 19. 19. To, I didn't used to talk this way. These are babies. These are, these are young, precious young men who had their whole lives ahead of them and who pretty much knew as they were getting off the boats and heading up the cliffs, and, uh, they knew it was going to happen. They knew they weren't going to make it, or the vast majority wouldn't make it. 
And I also want to play briefly, I sent a clip to our, also introduce you in this studio. Uh, we have Ziggy, who, of whom you've heard uh, many times, and then Joe is producing our show today. So um, those two are rocking and rolling with me today. Um, and I want to play today uh, just a brief clip of FDR's prayer on June 6, 1944. And so, in this poignant hour, I ask you to join with me in prayer. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. Lead them straight and true. Give strength to their arms, stoutness to their hearts, steadfastness in their faith. They will need thy blessings. Their road will be long and hard. For the enemy is strong. He may hurl back our forces. Success may not come with rushing speed, but we shall return again and again. And we know that by thy grace, and by the righteousness of our cause, our sons will triumph. I just want to make a couple comments. I know people play a longer segment of that, and they listen to it, you know, either in D-Day or other times, but what a remarkable uh, difference it really is in America at the time FDR made that uh, statement to the nation on June 6, 1944, and where we are today. I would like you to even try to imagine the current administration in Washington making any reference to our religion, other than to say religion doesn't belong in the public square and we shouldn't have religious speech and we should prosecute people and we should fire people if they mention religion. This was such a different era in America where he was very comfortable, FDR, very comfortable acknowledging what was at stake with Hitler's expansion uh, and attempt to overtake the entire world. It was clear to him, to FDR, and really to most of America at that time, that it wasn't just Germany wanted to have physical control and expand their country and have, you know, a broader, broader, um, you know, geography that constituted Germany. It was very much recognized what Hitler was going to do was take away the fundamental presumptions of Western civilization, Western freedom, the idea that people have the right to live in freedom, and he was going to have a very autocratic control over as much of the world as that he would be permitted to control. People recognized that this was a threat, not just a war between two nations and borders might change, but the whole way of life in the world might change. This is before most people recognized at all what was occurring with what we now call the Holocaust. They, they knew he was expanding, they knew he was trying to conquer the world, but most people didn't know anything about the Holocaust occurring. But they knew that some guy who wants to control the whole world is a danger is a danger to the world, must be stopped. And so that, and also there's the eloquence with which FDR spoke, talking about the, the idea of what, what uh, Hitler wanted to do. It was to take away the idea of Western civilization and freedom. The idea of God-given rights to live in freedom. You're going to live under the control of a foreign despot who was going to be, you know, in his you know, insane lunatic worldview, Hitler thought he was going to rule the whole world. 
I want to kick off today's show talking about that because, first of all, you always, you can never honor enough the service of American military members at that time or this time. You, the people who gave their lives, who knew it was going to happen and did it anyway, because they recognize if some people are not willing to step up and stand up and speak up and bravely take stands, you really could lose the whole country. You could lose everything. So that's what FDR had to say. And I'm going to, in the next segment, talk about Pete Buttigieg, who just, I mean, he's a problematic, um, <laughs> it's hard to even find words to describe him, but he's an extremely problematic figure in Washington, D.C., but what he did, he did actually a, the world a favor um, over the weekend. That's what we're going to go into next. But I'll wrap up the first five by saying this. The kind of bravery that FDR was calling for, that people at that time were recognizing was vital to have, that, that, that call to bravery, it is needed today. I do not in any way mean to diminish the experience of the military, having to fight Hitler, having to, to conduct D-Day and the invasion, all of that. I'm not diminishing uh, in any way the uh, amazing uh, bravery they showed. But I will say that we are at a time and place in America where we are facing a similar threat to the idea of America, the foundational idea of freedom, the right to live in freedom, the, right, the idea we have God-given rights, which no one is allowed to take away. We are in a similar, um, a similar place right now in America as we watch what the anti-American left is now doing to this country, uh, voiced by, astonishingly admitted by Pete Buttigieg, but many other players. Uh, and we are we need similar bravery in America today. We need similar bravery of people speaking up just to say to the anti-American left, to the socialists, to the Biden regime, to the entire cabal running this country, you can't have our country. You can't have America. We will defend ourselves. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. I want to welcome our radio listeners, by the way. If you're listening on radio, I want to make sure you know that you can find this show online. Our website is americacanwetalk.org, americacanwetalk.org, and you can always watch this show live at the website. You can watch it on Facebook. It is later uh, put out on Rumble and basically all the other um, prominent social media platforms, so you can find it later. But the reason I urge you to go to our website, americachemitalk.org, is because we have neatly organized and cataloged all of our past shows, past interviews. We have it all there for you. So for radio listeners, uh, if you're wondering who you're listening to, my name is Debbie Georgiatis, and the show is called America Can We Talk? And I urge you to try to check out our website, americacanwetalk.org, and there you'll find uh, much more information about the show, our past interviews, our future shows, all that we do in this country. Okay, so I actually call Mondays. I, I almost never have a guest on Mondays. And I call them deep dive and dress down Mondays. I actually do dress more like a uh, talk show host in a you know, jacket and more formal clothing. But Monday's my deep dive, dive in day. Um, and I really want to talk a little bit about how consequential it is what Pete Buttigieg had to say as he was interviewed over the weekend. Um, and I sent, he was on uh, ABC with George Stephanopoulos. And what he had to say in this interview, I want to first play it. We may even play it more than once, but I want to play a clip I sent to our happy producers today, Joe and Ziggy, um, and have you hear what Pete Buttigieg had to say about the Biden, really, the Biden administration's reaction 
to the uh, lament of the American people that inflation is out of control. You know, gas prices are, are, are out of control for many people. We'll talk more about that in a minute. For many people, they make the difference in whether you can have a family vacation, whether you can afford to drive to work if you happen to work far away from your uh, where you live. This is a inflation of gas prices, food prices, everyday prices. This is consequential, extremely consequential to the average American citizen. But I want to first ask them to play, ask my happy producers here, to play this clip by Pete Buttigieg. Well, right now, what we are doing is preparing for the road ahead, where you're not going to see this kind of uh, swift, red-hot, uh, wildly uh, fast economic growth that we had over the last year or so, but still expecting strong economic growth and working to keep it that way. Now, look, whether we're talking about growth or whether we're talking about inflation, one very important principle right now that this administration takes seriously and respects is to allow the Fed to do its job. But the administration and Congress have a job to do as well, and that is to support growth in this economy, including issues on uh, on the supply side of our economy, uh, like making sure our supply chains are stronger, making sure that we invest in the capacity, both, both physical and human, of our uh, economy to keep up with demand, and taking action where we can to lower costs for American families. And there are a number of things that the president has proposed that we do that Congress could do lowering the cost of insulin, lowering the cost of childcare, lowering the cost of housing, uh, things that would make a difference, no matter what's happening macroeconomically, would make life easier for Americans who are facing these economic uh, question marks right now. Part of the reason B Pete Buttigieg can get away with saying things like that is because the average American, people are feeling desperate, and they really are. If you, you see all sorts of news shows, interviewing the man on the street, talking about the price of gasoline, changing whether they can actually afford to drive to work, they can keep the job they have, whether they have to actually abandon their home or apartment and move closer because they can't afford to drive to work. Whether, and, and it relates to food costs, it relates to this amazingly alarming thing that the, uh, is happening because of Biden's economic policies. Uh, so we now have a supply chain, chain shortage, which everyone is observing, everyone's experiencing. We're talking about impending food shortages. But I want you to think about, and the reason I want to talk about this today, as we sit here celebrating 78 years uh, of the you know, amazing bravery shown to stand up against Germany's aggression and to stand up for the free world, what you are hearing Pete Buttigieg say is flat out that the Biden administration is socialist. They are socialists. His solutions are socialist. His idea is government has to step in. Don't worry, government can run everything. And I want to just remind you of some of the things he's actually saying. The federal government should buy and buy energy and resell it to the American people for less energy, Let me, less money. Let me remind you, the federal government has no money. This is a simple fact, as in the sun is hot and the federal government has no money. They only have money because they take it away from hardworking citizens and businesses who worked to earn it. The federal government doesn't earn money. They don't, have a, they don't get a paycheck. They don't have any money. So every time they promise anything that they'll give, they'll provide, they're saying, we're going to force the fellow, your fellow Americans who pay taxes to pay more in taxes to cover the costs of what we're trying to do here. This is what Buttigieg is saying. He's saying this is a socialist regime. 
They're going to spread, have through redistribution of wealth in one form or another, they're going to take away money from people who earn it, have the government take it in, and then the government becomes your supplier. The government becomes your savior. And this is exactly, this is the, this is the, you know, daydream. This is the, you know, just a fantasy utopia every leftist hope for, hopes for, is that more and more people feel dependent on government, do not believe in themselves and their ability to take care of themselves, to function in a free market society, to provide for themselves and their families. Socialists, communists, which is what the anti-American left has become today, they love, they are gleeful over the idea that what they have produced in the American people's fear, lack, and the consequent, they hope, willingness to allow government to control and provide every single thing that they need. So when he says we're going to provide energy, we're going to buy energy, the government's going to buy energy with your tax dollars and sell it for less, they are making, they are intentionally sowing the seeds of dependency on government. Then they're also going to talk about assembling a task force to lower and stabilize short-term prices of volatile goods like food and fuel understand again how socialists think. The government is the source of what you need to live. The government provides for you. It's just an utter, it is an utter rejection. It's an utter, you know, a bullet through the head of capitalism, freedom, free markets. The government's going to control. Don't worry, big government in the form of Joe Biden and the anti-American left that runs this country will take care of everything but you're in the in the the only consequence to the American people will be you lose freedom. So they're suggesting they're going to have a task force to lower and stabilize short-term prices of volatile food, uh, goods like food and fuel. Well, you know, food is still produced by farmers. I mean, there are other people in the supply chain. There are people who process food and can it and sell it and all that. But all those people are private businesses, and America functioned really, really well for over 200 years without the government taking control of food supply and fuel supply. And this is what communists do, is how they think, is they want to create dependency, is the point of what they're trying to do. They also, says this suggestion, should provide generous wage subsidies for American workers during the shortages. So you're now dependent on the government for your income. Kind of like what they promised about socialism, you know, from each according to his ability to each according. I mean, whatever that, I even get that quote straight. But the point of it is they are trying to create dependency. So you live at home, and this is very similar to how this is exactly why the anti-American left was so gleeful in establishing the uh, government's programs that arose during the LBJ era, the Great Society programs. They were not designed to help people. You need to banish that thought, that assumption from your thinking. They did not create all the great welfare programs, the great society programs, and, and food stamps, and uh, housing subsidies, and welfare payments out of niceness, out of generosity. It was an intentional cultivation of dependency program. This is why the left did that. This is how they think. It's how they've always thought. They're just being a little more honest about it now. So you had dependency programs created by the left, starting with Great Society, and all they're trying to do now is, is do more of it. So he's talking about how Congress can lower the price of insulin, the cost of childcare, lower the cost of housing. Everything a free, self-sufficient people understand 
all of us understand are the responsibility of the individual, providing child care for your own family, caring for your family and providing child care for them, uh, the, uh, the idea of medications you need. I mean, what they're talking about is tapping into people's fears. You won't be able to take care of your insulin costs. You won't be able to take care of your child care. Don't worry. The big government will do it for you. This is, as I've been saying for months, the rolling transition of America away from freedom and, and off the cliff into Marxism, socialism, and communism. This is cultivating dependency on the, by the, among the American people. And, you know, I will tell you that part of what Buttigieg tries to do and Biden tries to do is say, well, you know, but we inherited a terrible economy. You know, we had to try to fix it. This is always what the left does. The absurdity, you know, gas prices, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but gas prices at the close of the Trump administration, very, very reasonable, very reasonable. People were like gleeful. So we're going back to what happened under Jimmy Carter, another leftist. Now, he's not as, Carter was just not very bright. I don't think he was a radical, hardcore leftist. He just wasn't very bright. And he thought all these free things could be provided by government and still everything would be hunky-dory. But Buttigieg is pushing. Buttigieg is really being, he's, a, I'm, I'm wondering he was actually, if he's actually chosen by the Biden administration to get out there more forcefully, more directly, just to say, hey, you know, this is what has uh, things to come, you know? He's also, um, there's the idea, um, of the uh, left to take away uh, the tax burden out of a higher, have a higher and higher number of people not paying taxes so that, you know, more people feel like they don't have any skin in the game. They don't pay taxes, but they get free stuff all the time. You don't have to be a PhD in economics to recognize that if you remove the tax burden from more and more people, there's a smaller and smaller segment of society who's going to pay more and more and more in taxes. And this is, again, the, you know, they don't call it, they don't acknowledge, honestly, this is the forced redistribution of wealth. This is the attack on the, on the hard-earning producers in America. But it's the, the end game is what they have in mind, which is that, is the idea that more and more people just feel like, I, I just, I get everything I need in life for free. Everything is free. I just kind of, you know, skate along and somehow I pay, my check comes in every month. Um, and also just, you know, it is an astonishing thing. This is another tell of the leftists. And so I just, I'm, I'm going over Buttigieg's speech, Buttigieg's interview, and there were a few other points I'm going to make uh, in this same segment about this too, about who else this administration chooses to employ to come up with policies to answer problems. But Buttigieg is floating. He's basically floating without saying the words, hello America, this is a communist takeover of America. If we told you that when Biden was running, maybe, you know, you, he wouldn't have had so many votes. He didn't win anyway, but, you know, they gave it to him. But Biden, if he'd run on what he planned to do, the American people would have said no. The left still realizes they have to hide their agenda from the American people. They can't say, don't worry, elect us. We are communists. We will bring about the forced massive redistribution of wealth through tax systems, through giveaways, through cultivating dependency for having that, and then creating crises after crises after crises because of their poor policies and Americans getting more fearful and then waiting to have, you know, somebody like Biden step in and say, don't worry, I'll save it. I'll save everybody. I'll make sure you have inexpensive fuel and inexpensive food and, and everything you need will be provided by the government. This is the transition to socialism. 
without admitting that's what it is. But Buttigieg apparently had the, go, the okay, the uh, go-ahead from the Biden administration to make these kind of acknowledgments. But it's really important for those of you who love freedom, love free markets, love the idea of America's founding and what we promised ourselves in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, that we're dedicated as a country to live, live in freedom. This is a message. Your freedom is, is going away. Your economic freedom is that is going away rapidly. You're going to be, if you're a hardworking person, you're going to be paying more and more in taxes because the government's going to be buying more and more with the tax money they took from you to provide for more and more day-to-day -day needs, which most people have understood in American history really were supposed to be the responsibility of the individual. So that's what we're watching. It's a phenomenal and, and really uh, notable day in America to note that Buttigieg Happy to say this over the weekend, you know, and he's, I could spend the rest of the show talking about the amazingly uh, irresponsible, isn't even a strong enough word, the amazingly um, just, uh, you know, statements that are the admission of what exactly their agenda is, and it's not to preserve America, the strong and the free. I also want to mention uh, other people who this, this administration chooses to hire, just in case you, um, and oh, and by the way, before I forget, there's a congressman named Ro Khanna, R-O is the first name, last name, K-H-A-N-N-A. -N -N um, he uh, did an op-ed in the New York Times over the weekend, and he's a, Dem he's a communist, you know, he's from California, he's a Democrat congressman, uh, he calls himself a, you know, strong progressive, or he's a communist, and he's basically needling, jabbing at Biden, saying you're not doing enough to fight inflation. Now, he would vote for every single spending program Biden or any other leftist ever came up with, so this is not a guy who's saying, we better cut back on this irrational spending. We better cut. We better stop devaluing the dollar by continuing to print money and spend money as, as though it grows on trees. He, he doesn't mind that stuff at all. But he's urging Biden to take more and more control over the federal economy to fight inflation. He's a communist. That is why he's making these points. But I don't want to go off on him much today, although I may talk about more later in the week. But I want to mention one other thing, just a, another tell. If you really think that, and I'm, I'm going to get to what I think is a pr really profound, important uh, point to understand about the Biden administration. But first, one more, beside Buttigieg being in his cabinet, one more person I want to mention. There is a leading advisor to uh, he who occupies the White House, Joe Biden, a leading advisor on supply chains. So... This, you know, in a free market, and, and the thinking of a free market economist, you'd be trying to look at how can we free up the free market? How can we help put manufacturers produce things more efficiently? How can we help transport, you know, how can we encourage free markets to work, free people in a free market to work? But that's not who Joe Biden hires. So in his, um, so his job within the uh, Biden administration, um, as he, and she is the... Um, this is her title, her actual title, Director for Sustainable Supply Chains. Director for Sustainable Fly Supply Chains. This is a woman named Betty Cremens. Betty Cremens, chosen by who, it's not Biden because he is senile, but some, whoever's making decisions at the White House, it's like Obama and George Soros and the little cabal of leftists really running the country. But they were okay with this lady getting this job, a White House advisor, Director for Sustainable Supply Chains at the White House, whose LinkedIn profile shares that she previously worked at the World Economic Forum, the socialist globalist powerhouse now in the world trying to 
just collapse freedom, collapses nation state, collapse the sovereignty of America. That's who Biden brings in to be a supply chain advisor. Please ponder that point. Supply chain in America, and it doesn't mean exclusively in America, but for the world, you should be trying very, very, very hard to find people who understand how actively how active supply chains work and how in a free market economy, you're trying to encourage production. You're trying to encourage people to work hard to produce more, to produce more goods and services in a means and a way that people want and that people have enough jobs to be and money income coming in to pay for those within the context of the private sector. He hires a World Economic Forum alumni socialist, Betty Kremens, as his director for sustainable supply chains. She was a National Security Fellow and Climate Affiliate Group co-lead at the Truman National Security Center. She previously served on the, uh, excuse me, uh, in the Washington, D.C.-based left-leaning foreign policy network, and she has been featured on Biden's son, Hunter Biden's board, uh, since 2011. So she's uh, the World Economic Forum um, job there. She had, and by the way, the World Economic Forum committed committed to ending private property. So I'm getting to a point I want to make in closing out this first half before we go off to our um, bottom of the hour break for our radio listeners. If you think the Biden administration is dedicated to finding solutions to the very serious, serious economic threats we face in this country, inflation, through the roof, can't pay for things, supply chain, starving people out, a threatened food supply uh, shortage. If you think the Biden administration is trying to help solve those problems, you have no idea what you're talking about. They are trying to create the problems. They're trying to grow those problems because they want to leap on board and solve those problems that the communists take over the have in mind. Radio listeners, you're going to a break. Come back after three minutes. For everybody else, I want to wrap up this segment by saying this. I think for the longest time in American history, most of us assumed that pretty much the government was on the side of the people. I mean, you know, you could have governments a little too interested in, you know, foreign entities uh, or a little too interested in corporate America, a little too interested in some other aspect of America. But the point was, most people assumed in America that the federal government was on your side. And it's time to wake up and recognize they are not. And it's not just the Democrats. It's the uniparty in Washington that has become so far in bed with corporate America, with the way corporate America functions, that their thinking is not, how do we make this economy better relying on the ideas of America, the freedom and free markets and the right of individuals to to care for themselves, that hold self-reliant American spirit to find their way in the American dream. They're not thinking any of those things. They're thinking, how do we exploit the present shortages and the present fears in the hearts and minds of the American people to take away their freedom, to grow government's control over their lives? That is the mission of this administration. And once you realize that, everything else they do makes sense. Everything else they do makes sense. They are not trying to help the American people survive and thrive and pull out of this economic downturn and pull out of this horrific inflation and pull out of this supply chain shortage. As far as the eye can see, they're using those crises to expand 
federal government power over your life to expand socialism in America. It is exactly their agenda. It's not a byproduct. It's not a, oh, oops, look what happened. I guess we're going to have to do some things to try to fix this. It was the plan all along. And this is why it is so serious for Americans to recognize that this is not a legitimately elected presidency. This is not a legitimately elected administration. This is an administration installed through a stolen election in 2020 and after a stolen election doing everything conceivable in their power to grab, seize, and hold on to as much power as they can at the federal level while they still have the opportunity to do that. They choose people to work in the administration who are avowed socialists, who worked for the World Economic Forum to push their agenda, which as you likely recall among the main agenda points, people know Klaus Schwab's famous statement, who runs the World Economic Forum, you will own nothing and you'll be happy. Somebody who worked for Klaus Schwab, who thinks that is the goal toward happiness, that is the goal in getting, our, you know, in getting the world economy back, is to take away private property ownership, have government control over everything. That's who Biden hired in his White House. And, and, and so you need to understand there is not interest in the Biden White House in trying to fix these problems in any way consistent with the idea of the freedom upon which America was founded. Okay, I have a quick little uh, shorter segment I want to do uh, regarding a Texas high school. And I want to just tell you something about how astonishingly powerful um, left-wing media is. So over the weekend, uh, there was a video out um, that was a, um, it showed, a, it was a public school teacher here in Texas who was a coach, I think a volleyball coach. And this coach, you know, employed coaching children, high school children, was luring kids down to encouraging kids to come down to a strip club where he was working as a, as a gay stripper. And these kids went, and some of the parents, sad to report, even went. So they had this incident. Somebody was recording it on their cell phone. It went viral. It went everywhere. This is a teacher in Texas who's luring kids to come down to a gay sex stripping, a gay strip bar. And I'm not, I don't believe he stripped on camera, but the point of it is this was a public school teacher who's, you know, imparting advice, I assume, to his players and luring kids down to this strip club and showing him how it works in a strip club and what you do and isn't this cool. And, and they were, you know, some men dress as women. I mean, just, you know, perversion as far as the eye can see. So the video was all over, lots of stories about it. And then I went to grab the video today to, to show you. I wasn't going to play a long segment, a little segment. It is like gone. I mean, I went all over my usual sources, back to Facebook pages that had it, back to websites that had it. It's just gone. And I'm telling you, I want to talk just a little bit today. It's not a big topic for today, but a little bit today on the role of grooming and how when people and parents are complaining about the LGBTQ agenda in the public schools and they keep saying, the parents are saying and, the, and experts are saying, the schools are not simply trying to teach diversity. They're not trying to encourage understanding. They're not trying to say, you know, everyone should really, uh, you know, have more patience and tolerance and inclusion. They are luring children. It's sexual grooming. It is encouraging these young people to 
embrace the LGBTQ and, and especially the transgender agenda. I mean, there's no reason on the planet Earth, no reason on the planet Earth that five-year-olds need to be taught in kindergarten, as they are in California, that gender is a choice. And, you know, you can show up when you're five years old. And mommy's always told me I was a boy. And, you know, daddy says I'm his little girl. But they show up at kindergarten and the public schools are telling the kids, you don't have to be the gender your parents said. They don't get to decide. Even your doctor doesn't decide. You decide. And so they're luring kids at very impressionable and, and ignorant and innocent ages to think that they can choose their gender. This is going on in the public schools that, along with the entire LGBTQ grooming agenda, getting to where this event occurred, this episode occurred in Texas over the weekend, but because the left is just determined to shut it down, you don't, you, you, I couldn't find the video. And it doesn't really matter if you see the video, but I do want to share one video with you because I think it's really important to understand this is this person we're about to play, this is a public school teacher a public school teacher who's trying to defend grooming by saying, it's not really grooming, it's just, and I'll let you listen to her, what she has to say. I want to talk about the laws that are coming into place across the country, particularly the Don't Say Gay Bill in Florida, that I am genuinely surprised has not popped up in conservative-ass Utah. But teachers especially queer teachers, are not grooming your children. We are teaching them love and acceptance and respect. Okay. You know, I swear my mother taught me to be nice, not say mean things. She really did. She was a really good mother. And so I try not to say mean things. But that person has no business being a teacher of any child, she shouldn't be teaching three-year-olds how to tie their shoes. But that woman, what she's arguing, and I didn't dig it off enough, she's, I think she is one of these non-binary blah, blah, blah. But anyway, she's saying, we're not grooming, we are teaching inclusion, we're teaching love, we're teaching respect. I'm gonna make an analogy I made before. Leftists in this country defend people like her. They defend the transgender grooming agenda for five-year-olds. They defend it, and they say, as she was trying to say, we're trying, and she says later in this clip, we're trying to help those who are, these young, young children who are uh, transgender, have some other, you know, sexual uh, category they're trying to talk about. We're trying to help them feel loved and included and respected, no matter what you think, no matter who you think you are, you can be loved, included, and respected. And so there, the agenda is justified by what she's saying, or they, she thinks she's justifying by saying, you know, it's really all about uh, just teaching love and inclusion and respect. But let me point out, these same leftists who are fine with what she's saying, fine with it, they are fine with it, they, they laud it, they, they cheer it on, this same leftist mentality are the ones who cannot tolerate a football coach at the end of a football game going out to the football field by himself, asking no one to join him to spend 30 seconds taking a knee and thanking God for the game, whether they won or not, thanking God for the safety, thanking, asking for, you know, thanking God for his life, for his ability to be a teacher. There, any 
any hint of respect for God, any hint of God-given identity or gratitude to God is, you know, it is just scream-level intolerable by the left. This is the same left that drove the Bible out of public school, drove prayer out of public school, drove the Ten Commandments out of public school, that just leap into litigation if there is a mention of God at a public meeting, who regularly take city councils, county council meetings, uh, people to court because they had an opening prayer. These are people who have no tolerance for God whatsoever. The, the slightest hint of anything religious, even a, you know Christmas decorations at a public school, slightest hint drives them into lunacy and hysteria. So no talking about God, but yes, a teacher, whether she looks like that person or she looks somewhat normal, mentally healthy, no what they're saying is no talking about God at all or religion, but we can push every sexual perversion and every new transgender identity ideology that we can think of. That is to be pushed on children at the at, in five-year-olds. It's truly, it's really remarkable when you think about the, when, when you contrast that. I mean, I mean, these people have no tolerance for what, the, what was the Judeo-Christian founding of America. It was the very ideas that founded America. It was with the ideas that gave rise to the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the very ideas of Western civilization that, that created this civilization. Those ideas may not even be hinted at, not even silent prayer after a football game on your knee. That's not even okay. But in your face, talking to five-year-olds, about your sexual identity. This is not only what they want to do, they are screaming that it is discrimination if they can't share their sex life with five-year-olds. I'm telling you, the leftist lunacy on this subject, it has actually been a slightly good thing in America because more people are waking up and realizing, you know, these people are not, what they're pushing is not mentally healthy, not well, cannot, can't stand it, just can't stand. And, and so more people waking up and more parents saying, no more of this CRT agenda in public school, no more of this LGBTQ trans grooming in public schools. And because the left has become so aggressive, so blatant, so unapologetic, it's actually kind of helping America recognize what, they, what their real agenda is. Because I want to go back to the idea of why they are so hysterical about any mention of religion. It used to be, I can tell you actually in law school, I remember talking about these cases in law school where the argument was, well, you know, if kids are in public school and, you know, they aren't religious or their parents are really devoted, you know, agnostics or devoted atheists, you know, it's not fair to them to have to hear about religion. And that was an argument to justify, well, that's why we can't have any religion in public schools. We can't even talk about religion. But the reason that the left hates that so much, hates any discussion of religion, is because religion gives people true faith. Religion gives people a sense of God-given identity and a, and a sense of God-given purpose and a, and a sense of morality that the left hates. The left wants to, the left fights religion in this country because people who have a clearer sense of God-given identity, God-given purpose, a, you know, a creator, and a source of morality, those people 
cannot be so easily cowed and pushed around by the lunatic left. The left drove religion out of public school, and now they want to drive the CRT, hate everyone based on their skin color, hate America agenda, and drive the LGBTQ, transgender, you know, you can be whatever you want to be agenda. That is okay with the left and pushed into the public schools. But I really want to make this closing point on this um, st story just to say the two things truly are antithetical. You can't have a nation rooted in God-given faith in God and the notion of morality coming from biblical teachings, the notion of God-given identity, and tolerate all the perversion and lunacy the left is now pushing. Those two things are inconsistent. And fortunately, more and more Americans, more Christian Americans, and, and actually not just Christian, people who are just, you know, have some sense of morality, they may not be deeply religious, they, they may be uh, Jewish Americans, and even in other faiths, they all have a sense that their identity, their children, comes from a creator. And morality comes from a creator. And so that when the left is pushing all this, it's helping more people recognize you know, it's one or the other. And, and driving the whole transgender grooming lunacy out of the public schools is now a major mission on the part of many Americans. And thank God that it is, truly, thank God that it is. Um, I, I think these stories are going to, they're going to keep floating around because I, there's a, um, the left, they are as emboldened as they've ever been in America. They're as emboldened as they've ever been in America. They have the White House, they have the Senate, they have the House. They have all the elections rigged. They think they can rig elections. They have been rigging elections, and they think they continue to rig elections. You know, time and memoriam. We're going to get to those subjects tomorrow. There's never enough time in this show, but I'm going to hit more about election fraud tomorrow um, and, and what progress we've made in exposing it and what people are saying about election fraud. The border is coming up tomorrow. Huge, huge, huge border stuff to be talking about tomorrow and the Bilderberg thing. But uh, which is, is another huge story. But to close out this segment on this topic, the left gets headway, makes headway by telling people, if you don't agree with everything we're saying in the LGBTQ agenda, if you cannot agree that transgender agenda should be taught to five-year-olds, you're a hater, you're intolerant, you are, and, and you, you must hate your fellow citizen. And nothing could be further from the truth. Defending children's innocence defending children's right to be to have a sense of God-given identity, defending the right of parents to raise their children with the values those parents believe in, and not having the government schools swoop in when they're five years old and try to pull all that precious teaching out of their children's minds. Yeah, the, the, the people who are the haters are the left. They hate God, they hate religion, they hate family, they hate America, they hate the founding ideas of America. They're the haters, the people trying to stand up for America and stand up for protecting and defending children. Those are the people who actually love America. I'm going to briefly hit one topic. We probably have to come back to it, but I want to make this contrast. Uh, you know, it's been weird. I've been gone for, uh, I haven't done a show in 10 days, which feels like 10 years. It's amazing. I, I love doing this show, and there are many, 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 many stories I could have chosen for today. But I do want to make a quick contrast. Um, about the outcome of the Sussman trial, a couple of points about the outcome of the Sussman trial, um, and then um, and, and then also um, uh, contrast what happened to Peter Navarro, who was on this show. I can't remember what it was a couple months ago. I had Peter Navarro on this show, um, and I want to just 
talk about where it really leaves us um, in America and, and how we handle all this. So Sussman was on trial. He was criminally charged uh, by John Durham. This, this all relates to the you know, non-existent Trump-Russia collusion hoax and how Sussman was a lawyer representing Hillary Clinton and the Clinton team, and he, you know, took some supposedly, uh, you know, super great information to the DOJ and said in a text message he wasn't uh, claiming uh, that he wasn't representing anybody. So the lie to the uh, DOJ, you, you can't lie to the FBI, the DOJ. So, you know, the lie he said was he wasn't representing somebody, but he was. He's representing Hillary. So that was a lie that caused him to be prosecuted. There are a bunch of little nuanceical, you know, um, points people are making, uh, which are, I, I can maybe go into another time, but they, they, they contribute to the fact that Durham had a pretty big... Uh, problem to overcome in that trial, but I want to get to this point that matters the most about. So Sussman, jury found him not guilty. And let me be clear, from the statement of the juror, a juror uh, on the case, um, they didn't really find him not guilty. I mean, they, they rendered a not guilty verdict, the jury did. But the statement by the juror, a juror, um, in fact, I think it was the former of the jury, said, there are bigger things than a possible lie to the FBI. What that juror is saying is, I mean, to be really clear, people, there's no argument that Sussman lied to the DOJ, and that's what he was charged with, and no one's really saying he didn't really lie. What the jury is doing, essentially, is jury nullification, the idea that sometimes a jury can listen to a case and say, yeah, you know, the prosecutor proved his case beyond a reasonable doubt, but you know what? For some reason, our sympathy lies with the accused, so we're not going to find him guilty. And this is not only permissible in the American uh, judicial system and the jury system, criminal justice system, but it is, you know, it has happened before. People will think uh, someone's been unfairly charged or they've been charged too harshly in something like that. And, and so jury nullification happens. These things happen. But she's acknowledging, this jury is acknowledging, yeah, of course Sussman lied to the FBI. We just don't care. And the larger context is, in Washington, I think there is a, uh, you know, for here in, in Heartland America, you know, where there's a lot of support for the Trump administration and for tr what Trump did for America, it's hard to get your head in the mindset of the jurors in the Washington, D.C. area. But the Trump hatred was visceral. I, I mean, just, you know, could barely speak words. It, it could barely speak eloquently. And so I think for a lot of jurors, whether they said it or not when they were being uh, voir dire, whether they served in the jury, they don't really care if Sussman lied. They don't really care if Sussman lied because, after all, the goal was to get Trump, and they wanted to get Trump. I think that's a huge element of it, huge element. It's just to say, you know what, it's just a, uh, it was a way to get rid of Trump, and so we don't care whether he did or not. Um, there was a... Um, I, I read more detail down in the trial stuff that uh, I, I will go into another time. The, the, the prosecution had a hard case to prove because they couldn't use the text message, which contained the lie. The text message said, I am not representing a client and, and handing this over to you. But the text message was, was finally turned over to the prosecutor after the case was filed. So they, they had to prove that he lied based on other circumstances. And that's why a little bit hard. But I wanted to say some things that did come from the Sussman trial, um, even though he was found not guilty. Everyone paying attention understands now that Hillary Clinton cooked up the entire Trump-Russia collusion hoax. It was practically admitted under perjury, not by her, but on the witness stand. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Hillary cooked up the entire Trump-Russia collusion. That's what happened. 
She cooked it up because she wanted a way to make sure Trump didn't win. She probably is watching all the Trump rallies during that campaign in 2016, realizing he's really popular and she doesn't have, you know, three real friends in the whole world. And so, you know, she was trying to get him. But you, you, do, you do see, and this is the big question I will pose about Sussman and what happens going forward. John Durham has to decide. He has to sit back and decide at this point. He, he took what he thought was an open and shut case, and it was open and shut. Should not have been hard. But he took that case, he took it to a jury, and he couldn't get a conviction. And of course, the Washington Post and all the left-wing lying media is, is jumping up and down saying, oh, this is great. You know, Durham fails. First prosecution by Durham fails. See, 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 bad, bad, bad. So they're hoping that he will just, you know, pack up his bags and go home, you know, take his marbles and go home. Durham has to decide whether or not pursuing other prosecutions is worth it, given what he's just seen a jury in a clearly open and shut case will not convict. But the bigger question, beside whether he should go for the next little pickoff, the next little pickoff, is whether he should, and I believe he should, try to put together the case that both prior to the election of 2016, when Hillary was cooking all this up, and after the election, when the entire Mueller investigation into the non-existent Trump-Russia collusion, all of that, whether all of that constitutes a grand conspiracy by a number of players, and you can name them, I'm talking about the head of the FBI and the head of the DOJ and the FBI agents involved and, and many, many players on the, in the Perkins Coie and many players on the Hillary Clinton team. The real question is this massive, massive conspiracy to, in the first case, to try to steal the election from Trump by lying about him and then the second case, to try to actually bring down the duly elected president of the United States based on lies. That is a grand conspiracy, and it's really what happened. And I think more and more people are finally recognizing all these players, from Mueller to Comey to Brennan, I mean, the entire cabal of players running that the high elite levels of, of the bureaucracy in Washington, they all knew what was happening. They all knew Hillary cooked up the whole story. They all knew that Perkins Coie knew it and Fusion GPS knew it. And many of the, the uh, lawyers for the DOJ, many of the FBI agents investigating, and certainly at the high levels, and the DOJ and uh, you know going after people, they all recognized the entire thing was a farce. There was nothing to the charge to start with. So the real question for Durham, I mean, he can go pick off the next person, pick off the next person, and maybe he should. You know, maybe that's the best course. But at some point, to really, to really, you know, clean the decks, to really put everything out on the table, there needs to be a pulling together of the grand conspiracy by the Hillary Clinton campaign of 2016, the Perkins Coie law firm. Oh, oh, by the way, before I forget, you know what came out, I don't know, like last Thursday or Friday? that within the Perkins Coie law firm in Washington, D.C., within their firm, their law firm, there had been an FBI office in Perkins Coie law firm for 10 years. The FBI and Perkins Coie should not even be thought of as separate entities. They've been feeding each other stories. They've been covering for each other. This is why the whole accusation against Sussman is so absurd. Sussman lied to the FBI, they're, they're in the office down the hall from him. 
I mean, the entire thing, this is a cabal taking over our country, manipulating media, or and many of the media players at the, at the left-wing side of things, fully where it was happening, and this is really what is needed, a grand exposure of all of the players involved in the media, at the DOJ, at the FBI, at the Hillary Clinton campaign, at Perkins Coie, at, at Fusion GPS, a grand conspiracy to deprive the American people of their right to have free and fair elections. That is what they did, and it does not make any difference at all that this Sussman jury chose to find him not guilty. Does not make any difference at all. What matters is, is he willing to, he, Durham, to go after that big, and I'm telling you, that would be huge to go after. Huge, and I think you should. And one last quick point before I wrap up, because we're almost out of time. I can't even believe that. But um, I wanted to mention briefly that... Um, if you think this whole January 6th commission, as part of the ongoing attack on America, and I'll probably talk more about this, but Adam Schiffless uh, was on the media over the weekend, and he was talking about how the January 6th you know, hearings, the January 6th committee, the hearing, you know, they've been so far had private hearings, but now they're moving to the public hearing phase. They're going to hold those hearings at 8 p.m. Eastern time in order to be on prime time so America can watch the hearings. This is part and parcel, the continuation of the grand conspiracy, the grand lie to the American people. For those of you listening on radio, this is Debbie Georgiatis. My website is americacanwetalk.org. Check out the website. Come back to the show every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time. Talk to you tomorrow. For everyone else, I will tell you, wrap up this point to say there's a people paying attention in Washington recognize there's a grand, massive conspiracy that uh, took over America really from the time Hillary Clinton ran 2016. It is ongoing. This January 6th farce commission, this January 6th, you know, joke of it. It, it is really one of like one of those, um, you know, crazy dictators that take over a country and they do show trials, putting on trial, um, you know, whoever it is who is uh, the, their enemy of the day. That's exactly what they are doing um, with this January 6th commission. And so now uh, Schiff is honestly, he's kind of more or less acknowledging that when he's saying, yeah, we're going to have a, a public you know, trial. We're going to put people on trial. This is the January 6th, all over January 6th. I'm telling you, folks, we are watching amazing times in America. I'm out of time to talk about it more, but I'll come back to it tomorrow. At the close of every show, I tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we start our first one, uh, our show today, When Bravery Was Real, D-Day 78 years ago. D-Day forever stands as a hallmark of Western civilization's grit and, deter and determination and sacrifice. Everything was at stake. And American, Canadian, and British soldiers stormed the beaches. Success was not guaranteed. Massive death was guaranteed, was a certainty known to everyone participating. But Western civilization's leaders and citizens understood what was at stake. There was no other choice. Nazism had to be defeated. American 2022 is facing the same stakes. The illegitimate cabal running the country is hell-bent on destroying every vestige of what has been has made America great. It is communism running amok. But American leaders, especially GOP, seem unwilling or unable to see the danger and rise to the occasion. Are there enough we the people Americans to turn the tide? Yes, there are. I certainly hope so. Okay, and then Buttigieg spills big bad beans. Uh, Pete Buttigieg spelled out the goal with ABC's Stephanopoulos, make more Americans fearful of disease, COVID, monkeypox, the next thing, economic collapse, out-of-control gas prices, food shortages, so that Americans will embrace 
government dependency and accept totalitarian control. This is what they are doing. People do not doubt me. Buttigieg is unfamiliar with the American spirit, and he may be about to learn. And on a Texas high school field trip to a gay strip joint, lovely, breaking story over the weekend, now being disappeared online. Texas high school volleyball coach takes students to a gay strip joint, or at least he invited them there and they came, at which he is performing. Parents find out too late. Whether labeled grooming or not, the fact is that too many public school education educators are completely unmoored from Judeo-Christian uh, morality. The left says this is inclusiveness and progress. Americans say it's degeneracy that leads to societal rot and rampant criminality. Sensualism run amok leads to nothing good. And the rule of law collapsed. Sussman walks in Navarro in leg irons. I didn't get to tell you about Navarro for denying refusing to testify at the January 6th hearing. He was arrested publicly at an airport boarding a plane to go give a speech and put in handcuffs and leg irons. This is, this is the show trial. This is how the worst brutal dictators in the world's history have acted. This is outrageous. Navarro, is a, he is a wonderful, wonderful guy. Sussman jury knew that the FBI wasn't even remotely duped. They did know that. They knew the FBI is in on him. Essentially, the FBI could not be lied to over what it already knew was true and was facilitating. Uh, Hillary Rodham Clinton cooked up the Russia collusion hoax. There was never any evidence to back it up, and everyone involved was attempting to engineer a coup against a duly elected president. 2020 and the January 6th Commission are all about the Dem projection. Chief Trade Advisor to Trump put in leg irons as part of a contempt citation, and that is unheard of, what they did to Peter Navarro. Obama AG Holder also cited for contempt, never faced any consequences at all. America is in deep and dark trouble. This is banana republic stuff. Durham is at a pivotal crossroads. Every sentient, intelligent observer, even Bill Barr, knows at the core of the Russia collusion hoax was a seditious coup plot. It was and is treason, and the punishment for treason is known. What will Durham do next? And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so very much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can you hear